the nature theme for this game was especially dry, because it's not like you're like doing something, making something exciting like birds and wingspan. Uh, I would like the cold open to be Kenny saying it's not something exciting like birds. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode number two of Board Game Box Office, a Table Knots podcast about board games, movies, and all the space in between. I'm Max, and I'm joined in this episode by Kyle, who's finally made it through the first half of Banshee's Vinishirin, and Kinney, whose eloquent review of our featured movie, The Menu, was, it was good. Should have a ton of fun discussions for you later in the show. Today we're chewing on Mark Mylod's The Menu, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Fiennes, and Nicholas Holt. We'll also be presenting our curated board game menu. But before we get into that, we'll talk about the games we've been playing and the movies we've been watching. Kyle, what have you been playing lately? Okay, before we get into that, I would like to state on the record that I have finished the entirety of The Banshees <laughs> of Inishirin. Okay, well, that's great, but how many times did you fall asleep? Uh, zero, f- uh, well... Besides the one, <laughs> zero after that. It did take three viewing sessions, though. We're not going to talk about that movie today, but I just need to, like, a quick out of ten. Uh, uh, I forget. Uh, seven out of... Eight out of ten? Eight okay. out of ten, I think. It's yeah. acceptable. That's yeah, eight acceptable. out of ten. I loved it. I loved it. It was very great. Good. Great. I, I would give All right. It what have you been playing? Oh, you've seen it? No. Oh. I was about to say, six <laughs> is way too low if you've seen it. Are you stupid? Are you... <laughs> 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 Joking me? <laughs> it's gotta be a f- joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kyle. Okay, what have you been playing, my friend? Right. I have been playing uh, a game called Vindication, which is actually an older game. It's from 2018, and I backed the newest Kickstarter like in December of 2019, and it just delivered. Maybe it was December of 2020, but it just delivered like a month ago. Mm-hmm. It's a game I've been excited for for two years now, three years now, and I finally got it to the table. I've played it twice. The first time at three players, and I gotta say, I was kind of disappointed in it. Mm. The game is essentially a cube pusher with a really, really cool theme where you're an outcasted, terrible person. You're What's kicked the, off the actual ship. word that they call you? You are a guilt-ridden scumbag. Scumbag, that's right. Yeah. And there's like a literal <laughs> bag with the word scumbag on it, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The theme is awesome if, if it was like in the mechanics If at you're all, into but, masochism, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. So, and you're trying to become vindicated, uh, as Dashboard Confessional once said. So, but it does essentially boil down to a cube push. You're trying to turn cubes into other color cubes to trigger points. But it is a lot more exciting than that. There is uh, some area control elements. There's some tableau building, uh, some engine building. So it has a lot of like things that I really enjoy. One of the things that I think is really interesting about the game is that at the start of the game, there are two cards that tell you how the game will end. So it'll be like if somebody has five purple cards or if somebody has green uh, five green cards, the game will end and then there's one more round. But as the game goes on, like when somebody reaches 30 points, a new in-game trigger card will come out. And when somebody reaches 45 points, another in-game trigger comes out. So as the game progresses, more things can trigger the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And what left me cold the first time was a card came out when one of those came out and it like ended the game right there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to do anything like cool during that game. And like my friend Kevin also felt that way, where it's just like, oh, I thought we were going to be able to do a lot more stuff. That seemed like a lot of work for the game to just end and not be able to do anything. Right. And so I was like kind of disappointed. I was like, I'm going to give it another play because I really do love the theme. The components are awesome. And I played it again on Monday at four player and I loved it. It felt like I, I had a complete arc. Everybody got to do something. Everybody had like a 
motivation in the game and everybody got to see it to, uh, fulfilled and it really came down to like who just played better and it wasn't just like a luck of the card draw so sure. i think four player is the way i'd want to go just because there's so much more interaction in it because of the area control portion of it and you're just really fighting over the hexes that you want to visit and stuff but it's the game that i i do think is m- built for me um and i do see myself playing it a lot more that's awesome. You know, that's that's something we should talk about in the future. I don't have an answer right now, but I would love to know what games you think are like purpose built for you. Like what games oh, yeah, you that think would be a good are topic. made with you in mind, because that'd be really interesting. But I'm glad you had a, a much better experience the second time around. Yeah, that would have sucked if it, it sucked a second time and I like waiting for it for three years but right. that happens you know yeah i've played it one time i remember liking it quite oh, a did. lot yeah yeah yeah. i've played it a couple of years ago i remember liking it quite a bit but like i don't remember a ton about it i remember like moving around discovering tiles and things like that yeah. and I, I know it is a cube pusher you know the theme is this big thematic theme like yeah. it, it's it's beautiful it's, really cool. it's, it's whatever <laughs> but like the actual gameplay is very dry for the lack of a better term but like i do remember like fighting cool monsters and i, I felt like that was satisfying at least when i was playing it but i will say the the theme is not in the mechanisms like really at all right but i do think the theme makes it a better game the painting yeah. on it makes the game more enjoyable like if this was like uh the same mechanisms but it was like based on like German trade or something like that. <laughs> like I would not be nearly as interested. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Speaks to the power of theme in games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it has a really beautiful components too, right? Like I know they have like these minis that are basically don't do anything, but they look nice. Oh, right? it's insane over the top. Like the things that uh, you put like literal metal, like coins on the, uh, the score track to mark when a new end game trigger, that's all it's there for. It's just to mark when a new card comes out. And you've got like your little sideboard for when it tracks whether you become vindicated or not, right? Like yeah. you're like flipping things. And I, I don't, again, it's been two years since I've played it, but it's one I'd like to play again now that it's kind of like more out in the wild. I'd like to see if I can find a friend with a copy. Cough, cough, Kenny. I'm not buying it now. Aww. the cop come down. <laughs> I am a friend with the copy, Max. <laughs> well, yeah, but you live in Columbus. That's true. It's not that. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm, I'm depending on Kyle for both this and the new, um, the one he's developed Andromeda's game, Edge. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah so w- whenever that delivers, Cal to come down, we'll have to play that. So Perfect. I'm not backing it. So the other game I've been playing is another game that I've been excited about for a while, and that is Wayfarers of the South Tigris, uh, the newest game from Garfield Games. The theme is you are in uh, around the South Tigris. You're like in Afghanistan, and you are kind of like exploring the terrain around you discovering lands discovering the sea and um kind of being uh, an astronomer also looking up at the stars and map and creating maps journaling what you're finding it's a, it essentially boils down to being a tableau builder you're getting land cards that are going to help your engine you're getting sea cards that are going to help you build your engine and you're getting space cards which are going to be your point scoring cards and i was really really nervous to teach this game uh, I read the rule book three times and I watched a how to play video two times. Like I was nervous. Uh, like that's like how, when I read the rule book the first time I was just like, this is heavy. And like, you guys know, like I'm into these heavy games. Like it usually doesn't bother me. And I'm like, this is got a lot of intricate parts and then i feel like that's surprising like based off so i've only ever seen this game in the pictures that you sent in the discord, but like the pictures of the game being played do not look complex so it's really not like if you watch uh any how to play video on like youtube or something the one i found was only 14 minutes long and my teach actually went really smooth i think the reason i was scared is like because when you're reading the rule book it doesn't tell you what to do on your turn until page 13 
Oh, it takes okay. the first 12 pages <laughs> describing setup and then it describes like what every icon means and like why this matters. So like it gives you like all of this setup before it actually tells you what your turn is. Interesting. I don't like that. I think if you've played a Garfield game before, it's actually a lot more intuitive because you kind of know the iconography at this point. Like he uses the same iconography for every game, which is actually genius. If you've played one of his games before, it's going to be a lot easier for you. And it actually does end up being a pretty easy game. Like you are just putting workers down to either take an action or you're buying a card and you're using those cards to make your actions better. I think it's more accessible than even I thought it would be. But another recommend for me, it was really it was really fun. All right, now I do want to take a brief moment before we start talking about what Kenny's playing to do another segment of Board Game Geek vs. Rotten Tomatoes. So we are taking a game that Kenny or that Kyle has mentioned, Vindication. And Kyle, we're pairing it up with <laughs> Groundhog Day. Yeah, um, I, give I me a moment to this. yeah. Tell me why that that is the case. <laughs> Kenny, right, Kenny's so, like what? <laughs> I, I, it makes sense. I did crowdsource this. This did not come from the brain of Kyle King. I was thinking of like, okay, what is a movie where some where the entire story is somebody's redemption arc, where they are just a complete butthole. And their whole story is becoming a nice guy. And I know there are a lot of them, but I was like, could not rack my brain to like figure out what it was. Tis the season. Um, I actually just listened to uh, a podcast, watch Groundhog Day seven days in a row and oh, podcast yeah. about it seven days in a row. <laughs> and so like, I'm kicking myself for not thinking of this, but Groundhog Day is literally about Bill Murray, who is a complete and utter butthole, go through the same day over and over again until he becomes a nice guy. So he needs to become vindicated. I know you're going to be shocked, but I've never seen this movie. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I've never seen Groundhog Day. No. You should just listen to the seven podcasts in a row. and okay. You'll get the gist. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was watch, thinking watch seven days in a row. What about like Bruce Almighty? Is that like similar in any regard? No. No. <laughs> not, not in quality, right? Like Groundhog Day. Can, is like, can he shut you down quick? Anyways, Board Game Geek versus Rotten Tomatoes. Do you think Vindication or Groundhog Day is higher? And take your best gander at, you know, what the actual numbers are. Uh, I don't know. I think so. Vindication, I think, I, like, I think a lot of people are, like, uh, are, like praise it and, like, are uh, proponents for it. But, like, I think Groundhog Day is such, like, a classic. I just don't know if it was received well when it came out, right? Um, so, I, I would think, like, Groundhog Day is probably, like, in the mid-80s indication is probably like mid 70s okay so like 75 85 is your guess yeah probably All right. i'm gonna put i'm gonna put vindication at uh 78 okay and i'm gonna put groundhog day at 82 oh interesting okay well you are both correct in that groundhog day was higher than vindication but it was a much uh more well-received movie than you believed kyle you nailed it with vindication 78 but Groundhog Day is a 94. Ooh, that's insane. Really? Wow. A 94. That is way too high. That is way too high. <laughs> that is way too you high. You think so? Yes. Groundhog Day oh, is man. kind of trash. Whoa. Why? Okay. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you think that? It's a comedy and it's never funny. That's a big no. Whoa. <laughs> Are we allowed to continue with this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's one thing to not see movies, but to not like movies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to not like every movie. All right. Well, y'all, y'all both get a win for that, though. I do think that tech. I mean, you nailed vindication, so I'll give the edge to Kyle. But all right, Kenny, what have you been playing lately? Um, so about a month ago, uh, my campaign group we finished up the King's Dilemma 
Um, are you all familiar with, with this game? Familiar with what it is. I've never played yeah. it, but I know about it. It's one I've wanted yeah, so- to play. This is a game I bought. Uh, I bought it from the guard tower, um, drove it all the way home, and then decided I would never get it played and took it right back. Nice. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, so it's like a, it's almost like a hybrid between a board game and RPG in a way. Big campaign game. We probably played like 15 or so sh- sessions that range between like an hour to two, sometimes more. But basically, you're basically playing as a counselor to the king over many, many generations you're basically just trying to influence the policies and decisions that the king makes throughout many lifetimes. And there's like several stories that kind of run through the game, but but there's like probably seven or eight that will, you get to see like long-term over the, that grow and change as the game goes. The game is really simple because basically you get a prompt like says like, Hey, people are running out of food, but we do have a bunch of flour. Uh, that's, that looks a bit suspect. Should we try to make bread out of it? Defeat the people. <laughs> and, I mean, that's the information you have, and you have to make a decision. Like, what do you do based off of that? There are a lot. There's so many situations in the game. So, like, you're presented with a decision that is going to be bad no matter what. Right. right? There's no good decision here. Like, you're either you're going to feel bad making this decision, or it's going to have like strong ramifications in the game. And I think like this is the game that I'd say like is the most interesting. Like, where you your personal beliefs and politics and just all that stuff is, you know, that's core to who you are as a person, right? But in this game, you kind of have to throw it to the side in a way because you basically get like a house at the beginning of the game and they have like their own beliefs and politics. And you kind of have to, to, to win the game, you have to kind of like follow that 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 house's edicts, right? So like one of my friends, he had to play like an like ultra conservative, fiscal conservative, like money over everything uh, type of character to, or, or push policies that were, were about that so that he could succeed in the game, right? And so it becomes like, there's there's a lot of like situations that are just like very like shades of gray, like this, there's no good outcome to this. And this is like, like pretty taboo topic. Like, uh, so it's a game I think you'd want to be comfortable with the people you're playing with. I do think that's what's interesting about the game though, right? Like I, I get worried about games that give you a decision because it's usually like you know what way you're supposed to go. And so you're going to pick that decision. Like if you're playing like Above and Below or Sleeping Gods, like and it's like, do this, this or this. And you're like, well, if I do this, I know I'm getting money. Or if I do this, I know I'm getting whatever. So it just feels like it's kind of on rails. What makes this game sound interesting to me is that you're playing a character and you kind of have to debate for a side that you may not believe in. I think that's what exactly. would be fun. This is a game that I would love to play. But much like Kyle, it was on my wish list for a long time. And I was like, there it's just not going to happen. Like, I would love to play this game, but I, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's been my favorite of all the campaign, like oh. like long-form legacy-style campaign games I've played. That's surprising. I like above that. Gloomhaven and above Clank Legacy and all that? Yes. Wow. That's sweet. That's great. I think the, the highs and just the moments it creates are just, like, so unique and just so, like, out of left field that, like, it's very memorable. I would say that this is a game that would translate really well for like RPG groups. Like your if your group plays D and D, you need a break from it. Like mm-hmm. this is a game like a pe- like a group of people who plays D and D could roll into really easy because the rules okay. are very simple. There's like really interesting story threads all throughout. There's a lot of interaction, um, all that stuff. So I think I think there's going to be certain groups where this will be could be a real hit. So now, do you play this online or in person? We play it online. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we should play this online. Yeah, if we can you, you do definitely that. Could. I don't know if Kenny could play through it again, but like, I would love to play this with the Table Knots crew. Well, you've got me all hyped up for a game that I'll never play. Thank you, Kenny. I would totally recommend you guys try playing online. I think you guys could totally do it. Like, it's it's a not a huge commitment, but I'd yeah. love to. 
now that you've talked about a game that I have a lot of interest in, why don't you pivot to talking about your next game, which I couldn't care less about? <laughs> yeah, that, so that's probably why I want to talk about this. this uh, I recently played a game of Terraforming Mars recently, and it's been probably been about a year or so since I've actually played it. And I was just like reminded of just like how much how much I love this game, like how good it is. And I know Kyle, you're also a big fan of it, right? Yeah, Terraforming Mars is great. Like it's and it's also one that's like it has a hundred percent approval rating in my group of friends. Like I've never introduced it to someone and they not instantly love it. That includes. My friends who are avid board gamers and my friends who play games with me once a year, like they, everybody has loved Terraforming Mars. Yeah. So I think we need to make, sit down, sit down, Max, and say, hey, let's talk about Terraforming Mars. <laughs> you need to have an intervention with Table Nuts? Yeah, intervention. Yeah. Because I, I, I think Dylan's fairly open to it. I probably jashed too, but Max. Wait, I, I, I'm mostly open to it. The, the thing I said about having no interest, that was predominantly a bit, you know, it's like jokes first, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, ca- I care more about first. I care more about making somebody laugh than I do about being truthful. Am I right? But I remember terraforming Mars sat in your uh, house for like two yeah, copies, of it, right? For like <laughs> over a year. No, not and... two copies. Not two copies. <laughs> I had two <laughs> copies of terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, of which I've still yet to play. But only one copy of terraforming Mars. It did sit for a long time, and then I, I, I did get rid of it, though. There's something about terraforming Mars. Like I think, like it is ugly, has poor production, right? But there's something about the game that I think just really hits, right? I think it's just like, because you are you as a group are building the landscape of Mars as a group and just the way you build up your engine, your tableau, and the way it kind of feeds into like these um, lofty science ideas. Like It's, it's so intuitive. I'd agree. I showed it to my buddy and like it had been like, I don't know, over a year since I played it. I was a little bit nervous about teaching him off the cuff, but it just like, it just, I it all came back to me. Um, it just made so much sense teaching it to him that like he picked it up like super easy, so... One day, Max, I'm going to bring over this biggest box of Terraforming Mars. I'm happy I'm to play it, genuinely. I would yeah. like to try it. I, a bit, a bit aside, I would like to try <laughs> Terraforming Mars. But what do we think here? Board Game Geek versus Rotten Tomatoes. Terraforming Mars versus The Martian. Let's start with Kyle this time. Okay. So uh, both of these are very highly rated. I know. I know that for a fact. Um, the problem with, I'm going to gamify this a little bit in terms of BGG, knowing that Brass Birmingham, our new number one game of all time, is only like an eight point something. So Terraforming Mars can't be that even that high, even though it's probably in the top 10. That's a fair point. I'm going to give Terraforming Mars an 8.2. And I'm going to okay. put the Martian at 93. Okay, 82-93. Kenny? Yeah, I was actually gonna, I was gonna actually say like go the same route like because I think like there's just a board game geek bias where everything is gonna be much lower than you it, something yeah. can't be like on Rotten Tomatoes so I'd right. probably say the Martian the Martian probably, I would actually gonna say ninety three as well okay. so I'm gonna say oh, I'm gonna do the prices right and say ninety four and I'll say eighty four eighty four ninety four well it is eighty four ninety one in favor of the Martian so. Terraforming Mars is an 8.4 on BGG. The Martian is a 91. You know, that is an interesting uh, discussion. I, I'm curious. You know, no one has the data behind the the ratings of the board game geek scale, how that works. No one no one knows exactly how it's weighted. But, I mean, there's no games over a 9 with, like, that many ratings, right? That's just not yeah. a thing. Like, I mean, you look at Aeon Trespass Odyssey, it has, like, a 9.6, but it doesn't have that many ratings. Like... Well, I'd actually, I do have articles in BGG where they talk about the rating um, system. I think they use a Bayesian um, average. 
I, I could totally mess that up. But basically, they, every every game comes pre-weighted, like I think like at around like five or six, right? So there's uh, ratings already built in, so that like people can't just sync this the score with a one or ten. Oh, right people sunk scores. Oh, people are doing it, though. It, it still happens, right? <laughs> That's and, why Gloomhaven it, dropped from one, been on the top for like, what, six years to three now in a matter of days because people are just like bombing so, the reviews it's right so now. Stupid. It's so it stupid. It's so stupid. People yeah. are ridiculous. If you're listening to this, don't do not do that. Yeah, It'd just cool. rate them both a one or both a ten <laughs> and leave it alone. Or just be cool and rate the game <laughs> what you think it should be rated. All right. Now, for what I've been playing, and Kenny, you can talk about both of these because we played these last night. I really just wanted to, I had two other games on here, and I was like, man, I really want to just talk about these while it's fresh on our minds. We can move straight towards them. Now, the first one is Terrorscape. This is a game that is not yet released. Uh, it's coming to Kickstarter, I believe, in April, so it'll be available for backing, crowdfunding, whatever. But this is a game with a a massive mansion that sits in between the killer and the survivors. And the killer is basically playing a hidden movement game where he is only guessing or they are only guessing where the survivors off are based off of noises they make. The survivors, on the other hand, know exactly where the killer is unless they use a special ability that makes them go invisible or stealth. It's a really interesting game and it reminds me a lot of a game that I love playing in video game form, which is Dead by Daylight, uh, which there is an official Dead by Daylight board game coming out from Level 99 Games, and I'm very curious to see how these compare, but I was a little nervous for Terror Escape, and after playing it, I, I really enjoyed it, and it gave me the exact Dead by Daylight feels that I wanted, and I'm excited to play again. Yeah, I was really surprised by it, just because I think we both read the rule book, you know, has pretty poor translation yeah which they're working on a new rule book so i expect that to be figured out if not by time campaign launches then by time campaign delivers but it's also such a simple game that like the rule book is missing a lot that that makes it you know 100 percent. like there were things that we did not 100 percent get but like the actions that you take how it works it's all fairly simple yeah and i think like one of the i think one of the better things about the games too is that oh play quick right like i think our second game probably went like 45 minutes, right? Right. Yeah, I would say 45 to an hour. Yeah. And this is one of those things where it's always 1v3. So like based off player count, you're always playing 1v3. So I'm sure that is a good thing for some people, a bad thing for others. But I was talking with Jash on the way home yesterday from playing. And I think it's 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 cool because like in the three-player game or in the four-player game, rather, when you have one person controlling each survivor, like... The game is quick enough that like it wasn't I didn't feel like it was like slowed down. I wasn't bored at all waiting for things to happen. But I also think it's simplistic enough that if you were just playing 1v1 and one person was controlling three survivors, I think they could manage it just fine. Like the items might be a concern, but other than that, like it seems like a game that should in, you know, theoretically work at all play counts. And it really it really gave me the feeling of playing Dead by Daylight, where like Doolin and I and Kenny too were like whispering back and forth, and Doolin and I were texting each other, and That's like fun. we're looking at the board and we're like pointing at where we think we should go, and Kenny's like, <laughs> "Oh, why would I go there?" And I'm like, "Just do it, <laughs> just just go there," and like we're we're taking our miniatures and like placing them on a certain part of the board and then sliding them to where we actually want to go just to see if we could fake out Jash from like thinking. <laughs> thinking he's trying to guess where we're actually going but i just loved it it was really simple but like it was such a surprise hit for me where it gave me everything i wanted from like a dead by daylight kind of game and i'm i love dead by daylight that's the video game that i've been playing more than anything lately 
So I was really pleased. Uh, we've only played it the two times, but I'm looking forward to playing it again. We've only used two of the three killers, but they, they were wildly different. The killer that we played with the second time was way easier to defend against. Like they didn't have near the strength that the first killer did, but their abilities were wild, like going invisible and traveling across the entire map. And like, it was interesting. I'm very happy with that. I really liked it. Super surprised by it. I think like one thing to call it too is the production, even though we did, we played a pre-production copy, yeah. like it was very, very nice. Like. It'll be interesting to see, like, what the actual um, what it costs. Game looks like. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, the the big house in the middle is kind of a gimmick, but like it works. Like it's fun. I, I will say, like, I saw that house thing in the middle. I was like, this is so stupid. Like, I, <laughs> I'm I'm all for gimmicks and stuff, but like, I I will say your your description of that that second game kind of sold me on it. I do want to play it. It's not one I I will buy, but like, I would love to play that with you guys. After that. We also played a new 2S game, and this one is, it's already off of Kickstarter, so uh, it'll be coming, I assume, to retail at some point in time, too, but it should be fulfilling to backers in March, and this is Earth. The hottest girl this in is, school. Yeah, the hottest girl in school right now. Yeah, Dice Tower showed it some major love, uh, and, you know, after one play, I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I don't, yeah, I haven't played it enough to rank it. I haven't played it enough to tell you that I'm going to say it's a nine, but I really liked it. I mean, it, after my one play, I'd put it around the eight level, but it has room to grow or fall depending on how it works. But it's uh, it gave me a lot of feelings of Race for the Galaxy, also mixed with Wingspan, and like turned up a notch. To me, it was like Race for the Galaxy plus Wingspan and add a half point of a BGG weight scale on there. And I I really liked it. I mean, there's objectives everywhere. There's things you can do. There's a million ways to score points. And it's one of those things that when I was playing, I, I really felt like I was being played hard by the game. I was not <laughs> I was not getting the cards that I wanted. And I, I think that that is a, is a wingspan thing, too. And it's not, they're not the only two games to have that issue. But it's a big old deck of cards. It's Arc Nova, too. I mean, you're drawing these cards and you need specific things. and You're not getting those specific things. But much like Wingspan and Arc Nova, it still works. Your enjoyment doesn't hinge on getting everything you need. Your enjoyment doesn't hinge on building the perfect zoo or whatever. Like, I, I did not do as well as I wanted to do, yet I still had an excellent time doing it. And I enjoyed the actions that I was taking, the following, the followings that I am doing, because much like Race of the Galaxy, someone takes an action, you follow that action. There's also like special bonuses that happen, but there's a lot going on in Earth, more than I thought there would be. But very pleasantly surprised with it and definitely one that i want to play again and kyle you just mentioned before we started recording the podcast that it's in beta yeah on board i'm game very excited about that so i definitely think we should uh, get a game going on there i'm curious to see how it works because again a lot going on and uh with games with a follow action i think that these might take a long time on board game arena but i'd be happy yeah. to give it a go Tab- tableau builders they're a crowded field Right, like we've mentioned, Terraforming Mars, Arc Nova, Wingspan are those are like three of the most popular games in the world, right? And so that's what Earth is competing with. But also, Tableau Building is getting to that point to where it's almost like worker placement, where it's like you don't even mm-hmm. think about worker placement anymore. It's like, oh, do I need another worker placement game? Uh, pro- probably because like everybody yeah. just keeps doing it different and better, <laughs> right? So yeah. it being another Tableau Builder like Race for the Galaxy or Wingspan or whatever does not make me shy away. If anything, it makes me even more interested in it, right? Because I know I love those mm-hmm. games. Um, I cannot, I cannot wait to play it. Especially after hearing what you guys said, after obviously seeing the Dice Tower review, it's just like that's a game that's like automatically, man, that's gonna run the hype machine for 2023. I know it is. 
I do think, you know, I highly doubt it shoots as high as Ark Nova does, which is what, yeah. four now yeah, on BGG? But, like, I absolutely think it's going to have a run. I think when people start getting it in their hands, it is going to prove to be a worthy competitor. I'm not, I don't think it's going to actually fight for the top of the charts, but it's going to be in consideration and conversation, Before I think. Before Kenny gives his thoughts on it, I do want to ask you both a question. Yeah. Do you think the game should have been rethemed? Because if I, without having played it, like we have Wingspan and we have Arc Nova, like I would have loved to seen this kind of system with something outside of nature. Yeah. Well, let me say that no, I don't think it needs to be rethemed or should rather. I think I would also prefer a fantasy or a, you know, space or something like that theme because I do not care about nature that i mean in real wow. life i do wow. no in real life i do <laughs> but in board games litter much in board no but in board games i don't care about the the verdants the cascadias the wingspans that's just a me thing like it just doesn't get me excited so it relies more on the gameplay whereas a point a place where i do think that earth you know takes it up a notch from the aforementioned ones yeah and i'd, I'd agree like i think like the theme for this one, I like. I'd like nature themes, sure, right? They're okay, right, for me. But wow, litterer, litter much? <laughs> I saw, I saw Kenny throw a twenty ounce Mountain Dew bottle out of his window the other day, and I was disgusted. Well, you know, if you don't have room in the back of your car, we're, we're <laughs> oh my right. god, <laughs> Table Notch does not endorse this message. <laughs> I think it's actually kind of interesting because when you when you said that, when you said like you couldn't care less about the theme, I was like, wow, you're right. I couldn't either. But like, I, I didn't really notice and maybe that's an, a, a testament to i couldn't care less about the theme but it did nothing to get in the way i really just cared about the mechanics like i had terrains that were like you need bushes to your diagonals and i was like oh cool did i pay any attention to what i was putting there no but they had the bush symbol on it and i put it there and it scored me points like no the theme did not do anything for me but like it absolutely just it worked I think thematically what's hard about it is like I think you almost have to have like a like a master's in biology to really understand how the thematics are playing out among all the different yeah, cards. But you don't need to like, understand that. I have a card that says it gets two points for every water card in a column. Have you, okay, it gets two <laughs> points for every water card in a column. But like, you know, so like something I like in board games, like even something like Wingspan, like I can see like, oh, this this uh the vulture uh, over here like see Right. Yeah, 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 they like to eat other birds, right? Like understanding like how those interactions help like not only learn the game but understand like how the systems interact but like in in earth like it just didn't work you know one note one note throughout the game again i felt like the game was playing me i felt like it was just destroying me and i'm sure kyle jeff and doolin all three of them are gonna be like oh you sandbagger but i would like to clarify <laughs> that the entire time i was like this is terrible i'm doing awful and at the end, Josh was like, I think you're doing better than me. And I was like, no chance. I am in last place. I am in last place. And we ran out the score. And I think Josh had like 129. I had like 156 or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, I mean, that's so typical, Matt. <laughs> Shut like, up, guy. So I still typical. came in third. I still came in third. Okay. It's not like I did well, <laughs> but it did make me feel better that I did better than someone. So thank you, Josh. You if go. you're listening or if you're editing, make sure you leave this in. <laughs> All right, now let's move on to what we've been watching recently. So we talked about the board games. Let's talk about some movies. Kyle, what have you been watching? I have been watching some old movies, my friend. Yeah, I'm looking at this on our uh, Google Doc, and 
I'm tired, Kyle. I don't know that I have it in me to talk about all the president's men. Okay, well, listen. (laughs) All the president's men is a 1976 movie starring Robert Redford and uh, Dustin Hoffman. And this is about the two reporters that broke the Watergate scandal for the Washington Post. So if you've ever played the board game Watergate, uh, it's the exact same theme as that. So Watergate is a game that I am uh, I adore. It's one of my favorite two-player games. Um, I've talked about it quite a bit. I really love history. I really love American history. It's just the, I think the stuff that's close to home, the stuff that built made this country what it is, especially since this country is so young, has, has really interested me because this stuff did not happen that long ago. A special shout out to uh, Fort Circle Games, who we just had uh, votes for women arrive today, which I know Kyle yes, is very excited about that. Yeah, I'm so excited for votes for women um, for the same reasons, Absolutely. obviously. But All the President's Men, like for a, a movie in the 70s, like it had great acting. I mean, obviously you hear Redford and you hear Hoffman, like those are... I- icons right? i don't know um, who those are oh boy <laughs> oh boy. are you serious dude <laughs> oh boy. Who, robert redford and who dustin hoffman i mean like i i've heard the names uh, but like, i couldn't tell you a single movie they're in that's a uh, rain man i've like, never I seen mean, it well oh you, but God. have you heard of rain man yes yeah. it's like the poker okay. dude right uh, definitely 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 a good movie um all the president's men though <laughs> is <laughs> That was a Rain Man reference. Uh, Max. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't get uh, it. I got Kenny it. Got, Kenny got oh, it. Oh good, Kenny got good. It. All, I got love it. love inside jokes. Got it love to be a part yeah. of one someday. Well, it's an outside <laughs> joke if you've seen movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all the President's Men uh, really enthralled me. It's kind of a long movie. I'm pretty sure it's over two hours. But I was like, I was just engulfed by this movie. I was so uh, excited to watch it. I love movies like this um, where the reporters are like doing some investigating. I love the movie Spotlight which does something similar, but seeing how these two men worked it to unravel five men breaking into the Watergate hotel and unraveling it to being this huge conspiracy that went all the way up to Nixon bugging the DNC was just riveting to me thinking how anybody could do that with like out the internet. And it was like literally without like just calling people up and like getting people to say just the right thing at just the right time. So you could like do the, the always sunny meme where you're like putting things together yeah, yeah, on, the, yeah, on a yeah, map. Yeah. It's uh, I get that reference. There you go. <laughs> I w- highly suggest that if you're at all interested in uh, American politics, it's not going to be for everyone um, because that theme is not for everyone. Like my wife would hate this movie. Yeah. I was going to say Danielle loves history, like loves history. But couldn't care less about like American history. Like that's too new. Yeah, that's far too new yeah. for her to care about. Like, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm like the opposite. I really like the stuff that seems like that. Like my grandfather witnessed yeah. is just really intriguing to me because, like, you think about it, like the '70s were 50 years ago, which really like it just does not feel that long ago, but it also also no. feels like forever ago at the same time. You're absolutely it's, right. So, I don't know. It, I really enjoyed it. Um, just great acting. I, there's not much more I can say. Um, Thank about God. It, but two thumbs up. I'm just me. kidding. I will say, though, I think, but can you imagine if they make uh, a movie in that style about the Trump um, presidency? Yeah. So, it's the thing is, like, will, right? Like, so it has to happen. The, the Watergate thing happened and it ended in 74. This movie came out in 76, two years after the scandal. Really? Wow, yeah. that is that surprising. super soon. 
normally when people when things like especially in politics like there's there's more of a delay than that that's interesting yeah that's cool i like that so the other movie i've been watching is an oldie uh that i watched for the first time um and it's the rob reiner film when harry met sally and i don't know why i picked this movie Uh, maybe it's because it was close to valentine's day and i was just feeling like a rom-com it's a 90 it's a 90 minute rom-com it's kind of what you expect it's starring billy crystal and meg ryan max i have heard of a couple of those they're people max i guess they are people on (laughs) the names gave it away The movie is about Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan's character meet in college and they do not like each other. And they go on this road trip across the country just to get from like Chicago to New York. They're leaving college to go to New York and they're just hitching a ride together and they did not like each other. Then they meet each other again like three years later. Uh, they're like, oh, I remember you. I remember you. And they start to buddy up a little bit more. And then they meet again like three years later and they become really good friends, like best friends. And so it's just like kind of tells the story and and four different parts of where they're in the college and then they meet again in their 20s and they meet again in their 30s and they finally fall in love with each other it is what you expect and there are some funny parts billy crystal is especially hilarious he is very billy crystally in it if you like uh rob reiner uh who did uh princess bride i think didn't he yeah Ooh, well, i like princess bride i know you do uh, among a ton of other things, Rob Reiner's a pretty good director. He tells it in a really interesting way because he like breaks up the actual movie with like interviews with older couples about how they met. It's just a really fun, light movie. You can watch it while you're doing other stuff and, and enjoy it. It's a movie I could watch in the bedroom TV. Yeah, you could watch that on your iPad. Okay, cool. That's like how <laughs> we're describing movies these days. Like, yeah, if it's an iPad movie. Yeah. It's an iPad movie? Cool. Good to yeah. know oh i do appreciate it hey i mean these are two movies that i would have never even considered watching so i i appreciate you uh you tossing that out now uh we didn't mention this but i especially want to mention it before kenny talks about his next movie uh there are probably times where spoilers are going to be said especially when we get to the feature film uh i think during these we don't spoil a ton but uh if you are wanting to avoid spoilers make sure you check the timestamps in the description and skip ahead to when we're not talking about this movie because Kenny is going to talk about the newest Ant-Man. So Ant-Man Quantum Media, I saw it opening night or opening day and it had really bad reviews going into it. Like I think it's like the worst reviewed movie since, I don't know, like 11th, no, uh, Dark World, right? Thor Dark World. I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, like it was, I wasn't, I had pretty low expectations going into it, but I was like pleasantly surprised. Oh, you did enjoy it. I did. Yeah, for sure. I thought you I, said I it like was it. like one of the weaker ones. Oh, I, I oh, also afraid. I think that is also true, um, but I, I still enjoyed it. It's I think it's like it's it is kind of like to me almost reminding you like almost like a big dumb action film. Right. But kind of like in the, the Marvel way. Aren't all Marvel movies big dumb action films? Don't get me started. I knew that that was going to get me started. Don't trigger me. I think like this one, like they did like, did a really good job, like taking Ant-Man, which is, you know, previously been just like kind of like small scale, like heist movies and then blowing it up into like big sci-fi space opera right like they're reminding me a lot of like star wars right so i thought they did a really good job of doing that and bringing those characters into that world but i think they kind of miss like maybe more on the smaller scale character stuff because like i look at like the wasp and like hope's character she spoke usually two or three words at a time didn't really have much of a character arc. yeah she was not in it yeah she was just i mean she was in it like she punched a lot of things and shot a lot of things but you know beyond that like what happened right Overall, I enjoyed it. It's, I think it's the way they treated King towards the end is like a little bit uh, suspect. 
I have a rebuttal for this. First off, um, a big disclaimer for the podcast this episode and all episodes going forward. Um, and I'm going to swear here for emphasis. I f- love Marvel. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about Marvel a lot. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you, too. I, I absolutely adore Marvel. And Well, you clearly yeah, don't like so. it as much as Kyle. Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You would have had to you would have had to cuss to get that across. <laughs> <laughs> the Ant-Man movies are weird to me. The first one I thought was a fun romp. I enjoyed it. I, I liked it for what it was. I despised the second Ant-Man movie. Mm-hmm. It was very boring. I fell asleep in the theater. It wasn't on the iPad. I fell asleep in the theater watching that movie. I thought it was boring. Um, There are very few Marvel movies where I think are boring. And that's like one of the three. It's very forgettable. Like, I don't remember anything about that happened in that last movie, except maybe like the last five minutes. So I think part of the problem is I don't care about any of the side characters. I did not like Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. I don't like Janet Van Dyne. I don't really care about Hope Van Dyne. So it's like when I really only care about Paul Rudd's character and Luis, it makes it hard from the start. This movie... I thought Michael Douglas actually acted for the first time in his Marvel <laughs> uh, career. Janet Van Dyne, I still wasn't a huge fan of. And like we already mentioned, Evangeline Lilly was barely in the movie. I thought Cassie was a great introduction to the universe. I thought that actress did a pretty good job. And I thought Kang was freaking baller. And so my rebuttal for what Kenny has said and what I've heard uh, from other people about how Kang is, was kind of weaker than they expected. Kang's biggest power is the use of time and time does not exist in the quantum realm. So he did not have his biggest asset. And he also was sent there with nothing besides like a very haphazard suit. And he was still able to conquer the entire quantum realm. And he almost won at the end. So like, I know he didn't. And like, it was like the way he lost was kind of like, Oh, he was so overpowered. But like, I think what makes Kang a, a good villain is the fact that he is able to manipulate a lot of time. And there are thousands of them. So the weakest one in a realm where he couldn't use his biggest asset was bound to get beat. That's all I, that's my rebuttal for that. But I I understand your argument. It's fair. Like when you hear Kang, you think like he should have won this movie. He is the conqueror, right? I would say the thing about that though, is that like, if you compare like this to Thanos, right? Like I think like they gave up so much about Kang in this movie that like there's not a lot of mystery, right? And I think if you look at, Thanos in like phase three, phase two, there's like the slow build up to him. So like by the time he does arrive, it's just like, whoa, here's Thanos and he is destroying everything. The credit scenes are supposed to be like, you thought you thought he was bad in Loki and you like you thought he was bad in Ant-Man. Like he was like a big bad in Loki and you thought he was a big bad in Ant-Man. Well, guess what? Like he gets keep keeps getting better. And like to, um, and I know I interrupted you. I apologize for that. But like in Loki, Kang was like, if you kill me, worse things are going to come. And in Ant-Man and Quantumania, he said, if you kill me, worse things are going to come. And what happened? (laughs) Loki killed him in the series and Ant-Man killed him in the movie. And so, like, he he keeps setting up, like, stop killing me because worse versions of me are coming. Well, I mean, to be fair... I would also tell somebody that if they kill me, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> I, too, like, do not want to die. He's like, please just do not kill me. Things will get bad for you. It's like he's bluffing. Completely. Yeah, he's bluffing. It sounds desperate. <laughs> yeah, sounds desperate. <laughs> Look, I'm a Marvel expert. I'm a Marvel expert. I know what I I'm talking it. about. All right. What would you have to say, Max? I saw a clip of Modoc on Twitter. Hilarious. I thought, Hilarious. I thought it was an edit from... Uh, like Shark Boy and Lava Girl, where George Lopez is in that thing. Like, that's exactly what I thought. I did not think it was real. I genuinely thought it was fake. And then, like, people were talking about how it was real, and I was like, 
wait, what? This is this uh, is what up, Marvel. Did you look up Murdoch in the comics? Have, look up a picture of Murdoch in the comics. They nailed it. I I, I really disliked Murdoch in this. Like, uh, I think it was I think it was more uncomfortable than funny. Uh, just the way, like, I mean, how are you going to do Murdoch, right? It's going to look stupid, but the way they just grafted on Corey Stoll's face onto the, whatever model they use, just like so large. See, uh, I, it was I, just I disagree because, like, I well, I do agree with you. Like, how are you going to do Murdoch uh, in a live action show? But I, th- I do think they nailed it. And I, what I think I liked about it is that they were making fun of Murdoch the entire movie. Like Paul Rudd was like, "What? What's <laughs> up with your baby legs?" He's like, "You look like a baby Bjorn." He's like they were just, so they were like mocking his look the entire time. All right, what's your next movie, Kenny? Uh, so it's not actually a movie. I'm uh, I picked oh. a TV show. So we, this is basically a dad cast right here. We, we're all dads. We all have daughters. Oh, are we talking about Bluey? Um, no, because like I think I've been watching too much Bluey, too much Peppa Pig. There's no such thing as too much Bluey. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's no such thing as too much Peppa Pig. <laughs> no, there is. <laughs> we, read, we reached that quota last week. Daddy Pig, get some petrol in the boot. <laughs> Sorry, Leanne. Uh, so a show I've, my daughter's been watching a lot lately is called Owl House. Have you guys heard of this one? Never. I have not. Okay, so this is a show that came out about two or three years ago. And I would describe it as if Harry Potter was even more fantastical and also very inclusive. So it's basically about this girl who goes into this magical world and learns how to be a witch. Kind of uh, comes in under the tutelage of like the owl lady of the world. Is kind of like the, the the badass witch of the of the woods. And just about her, you know, week to week learning about this world, learning how to use magic and all that. But I think it has a really good like overarching story, and it's also just very sweet. It's been pretty popular in terms of like viewership and stuff like that but i think it, uh, the creators weren't weren't afraid to push it in certain directions uh like i think like one of the reasons i think it got canceled is because they have a, a same sex relationship between the, the main character and uh, i think they push in different couple different areas oh, too I, I mean i have heard about this because of that like quote unquote controversy i have definitely heard of that show yeah yeah it is it's a it's a really great show and i think like they do do a really good job of exposing that to like the kids in a way that feels like good and natural and just it fits with the show right i highly recommend it uh, i think like probably like five or six is like a good age to like introduce kids what to is it. this on kenny you can watch on disney plus right now oh okay i think i might check that out that does sound good no i'm definitely gonna i never ever heard of this even with the controversy never heard of this but that sounds great i'm definitely interested in checking that out i know at least for one of my movies. Oh, no. Both of my movies Kyle can talk about with me. Kenny, have you watched either of these? I'm going to talk about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Barbarian. Uh, no, I try to watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies with my wife. And she's like, no way. This really? Yeah. My wife also did not like it. And Max's wife. My also wife did also like did not like it. Danielle was not a fan. <laughs> I, dude. Okay. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a Gen Z whodunit. I think that that's a good way to summarize it all in a few words. It's a Gen Z whodunit. These kids, these all rich families, you know, it's a little bit of a commentary on wealth. I loved it. Like, I I had a blast with this movie. I know Kyle liked it, but didn't particularly love it. But I've watched it twice now because I watched it with Danielle also. And the second time, I was laughing even more than the first. It's interesting. It was almost two entirely different viewing experiences because the first time I watched this movie, I'm going to chalk half of this up to the fact that I was watching it at 1 a.m. in my house, completely dark. I was the only one in the entire house awake. I don't think I've had a scary movie, which... 
clarify, this isn't even that scary. No, it's but not. like it genuinely had my heart racing more than many movies, at least in the past few years. I mean, it was uh, so the next movie we're going to talk about, Barbarian. Like they were at equal levels of anxiety for me. But Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is like a comedy at the same time, and the second time I watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I was just dying of laughter. Like, there's so many lines in that movie that crack me up. I mean, Rachel Sinwit is just, like, incredible. Like, Alice in the movie. And Greg, her boyfriend. I love that. Like, they they just had me in tears. It was tense. It was funny. I didn't see the twist coming, which, Kyle, I know you did. But I, I adored it, man. I just had so much fun with this movie. I forget where I put it, but... It's got to be like top five of 2022 for me, which might be high for most people. But man, I don't know. It just it it spoke to me, and I'm not even a Gen Zer, but I loved it so much. Oh, it's number six for me. So trash. Yeah, trash. I I did like bodies, bodies, bodies. Let's, let's get that straight. Okay, first. Right. Cool, I like cool, cool. the I like the movie because I like this this genre. It is a teen horror movie. Yeah, I do think it it provides a pretty interesting twist on the genre. Um, it's not Scream or I know what you did last summer. My biggest issue with it is it's only a ninety minute movie, and I did yeah. find myself bored at some points. Really. Uh, yeah, I, I really did. I um, never it, found myself bored. I mean, that's interesting. I did think like parts of it were funny. And maybe if I watch it again, I would like start to catch on like lines to like quote with you. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> I, none of the characters were likable is part of the problem. Oh, like, that is I, so BS, dude. Greg and Alice are hilarious. Greg kind of. Okay, they're. Uh, Greg I, and Alice, Alice are awesome. But Alice is also very annoying. Like, dude, they, no, Alice I don't is so like teenagers. funny. Teenagers are. If you're a teenage listener, I love you. Teenagers as a whole <laughs> are just, they drive me nuts. This is like old man yelling at Cloud now. So Dude. it was like very hard for me to root for him. I was like, I don't care if any of these people die. You don't <laughs> care about Alice's podcast hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend? <laughs> I mean, come on. I did, like, I did feel pretty seen there. You know? you exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just think that like, I think they did an excellent job of in 90 minutes to me, at least of giving them all like a decent enough personality to grasp onto. Now, I really liked Alice and Greg more than any of the other characters. Emma, you didn't really get a good feel for much. I mean, there are certain characters that are seen a lot more and certain characters that are seen a lot less. Uh, you know, it's a whodunit. People die early. But I I just I thought that they were all not necessarily likable as in like I would want to be friends with you, but likable in the sense that like they were entertaining. At They're the interesting least. characters. Yeah. So this was more of like an entertainment point of view or like, I guess I was looking at it like, what do I like these people? And the answer was no, but you're right. Like they did a pretty good job of like fleshing out these characters where like I knew their personalities. I knew each of their personalities by the end of the movie, which is is an impressive feat. And even though I did, I did see the twist coming. It was the way it was revealed was very funny. It's a well done movie. It's very fun. Kenny, is there any chance you watch this movie? Uh, Probably not. Okay. But what I've, what I have learned though, is that Kyle hates Gen Z and Max is Gen Z. I'm not though. I'm 28. Anyways, so let's all right, call, call out right now. We're going to spoil the ending of Bodies, 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 because I want to talk about it briefly. Yes. Spoilers. We're going to spoil the ending of this movie. So if you have any plans to watch this movie, don't skip listen. Skip ahead to the next timestamp. But Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a whodunit where uh, they actually start playing a game called Bodies, 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 which is like you turn off all the lights and you go, you tap someone on the back. They're dead. You have to figure out who did it. Kind of like werewolf, whatever. Yeah. And then at one point in time, someone actually dies, of course. I mean, what more can you expect? And then it all 
cascades and 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 really avalanches itself into this anxiety ridden who is the murderer none of these friends like each other none of them like each other they're all friends because of the fact that they're all wealthy and they've been friends forever it's a matter of comfortability not that they're actually friends with each other like they talk about how much they hate each other behind their back no one likes this girl's podcast they're all mean to each other and so like the entire movie they're at each other's throats trying to figure out who's killing who, accidental deaths happening. Uh, let me, can I interrupt real quick, Please. Max? The one thing I want to say is like, we mentioned Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is like a game of werewolf. And that's kind of how the plot of the movie plays out to where like, yeah. you just get these like weird suspicions on somebody and then you immediately call them out. Kind of like Blood on the Clock Tower. And maybe like, that's a, a part of why I like this so much. It's like it, it kind of yeah. feeds into that to me. But, it is a movie for us, right? Like, right. That is, it is a movie for this podcast. Also, if you don't like Pete Davidson, he's the first to die. So, like, you can at least you can get that out of the way. I did think he was fine. I didn't bother me in the <laughs> he slightest. Was fine. He was, but fine. At, at the end of the movie, there are two people remaining. One of which they're like they're a couple, and one of which you know is cheated on the other, and the other person knows about it, and so there's anxiety and tension there too. They're fighting over a gun. But that moves to fighting over a cell phone because they want to read each other's... They want to read the texts to see if it's true that they cheated on them. And I, A, think that's hilarious that they they gave up fighting over a gun to defend themselves and instead wanted to just protect themselves from being outed. It's like they, they cared less about living than they did about their partner finding out that they cheated on them. And I think that that's a very, like, maybe Gen Z social media type thing to do. Like, we care so much about who we are in real life as well as who we portray ourselves to be that like i i thought that that was very interesting but comes to the very end they squabble over a phone they find the phone but it's pete's da- it, pete davidson's character's phone they open up his phone using his dead body because they they had they his eyes they, they use his facial recognition to open up his phone and the, the thing that is left on the phone screen is a tiktok of pete davidson and he's trying to open up a bottle of champagne with the machete <laughs> And he's swinging it around, and he kills himself on accident with the with the machete. And so there was never any murderer ever. Every single was, death is accidental. Everything was accidental, or because they were like, well, to be fair, the the main protagonist, who you want to believe is the best person in the movie, is truly the only person to actively kill somebody. Correct. And it's, it's kind of out of self-defense, right? But like, it was an overreaction. But it's all like worthless, right? And it's like, I knew that Danielle was going to hate this movie going in because we were going to get to the end scene. She was going to be like, well, the whole thing was pointless. I was like, yeah. Like, that's the point <laughs> that it was pointless. <laughs> like, I loved yeah. it. I don't know. It, the end came and like the first time I watched it, I just like sat there in disbelief. And like the TikTok goes on for a solid like 15 seconds. And the moment you see it, you know what's ha- like, you know what's about to happen. And it just lets you sit there at the screen for like 15 seconds before he actually kills himself. And like the first 15, the first 14 seconds, I was like, no way. <laughs> no way. Come on. That's not going to do that, is it? And then it happens. And then the second time when I was watching it with Danielle, I didn't even watch the movie. I just stared at her face and just like <laughs> as this revelation happened. But dude, I don't know. I loved Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I think it had an excellent soundtrack. I think it was cinematically beautiful. I loved the lighting. Like they used phone screens and glow sticks for a vast majority of the cool. lighting throughout that the was movie. Very cool. 
I thought it was really well done. I thought the acting was great. Maybe not like, you know, the top tier, but again, I think Rachel Sinowit was awesome. Oh, uh, she's no Robert Redford. You know? Well, yeah, you know, I don't know who that is, but I know who Rachel Sinowit is. And it was just, <laughs> it was really good, man. Like, I, I just really liked this movie and I'm sad that no one else I've introduced it to has come to it the same way that I did, where I'm really, in, like, I loved it so much, but I'm happy that you at least enjoyed it, Kyle. So I thank you for indulging me. I did suggest it to one of my best friends, too, because I know he'll like it a lot. So Yeah, it's funny, too. I've wanted to suggest it to more people, but I'm like, A, I'm, I'm, I'm batting a thousand right now. And B, it's like, not a lot. Of, like, I wanted to pitch it to my dad. And I was like, he's going to hate the Gen Z humor. Like, that is oh, not yeah. going yeah. to flow. That like, won't hit with parents. Dude, I could, I could talk for like five more minutes about just quotes from the movie that just made me cackle when they happened in real life. I mean, it's, he's a Libra moon. <laughs> I've known him for a long time. How long is long? Two weeks? <laughs> it's just like, the girl shoots her and is holding the gun. And she's like, you shot me. And the girl holding the gun is like, no, I didn't. <laughs> like, Come on. I don't know, man. I love yeah, that it's movie. Fu- it's funny. You're right. All right. Yeah, yeah All you right. sell it. I sell really it a little well. bit better. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. I appreciate that. Now, you've not seen this one either, Kenny? You've not seen Barbarian either? Uh, no. We're actually going to watch it uh, this past weekend. But I, this is a movie I probably will okay, watch. Yeah, we, we won't do major recommend. spoilers on Barbarian. I do very much recommend it as well. I definitely think it's a... I think I liked Bodies, Bodies, Bodies more, but like I would absolutely recommend Barbarian to more people than I recommend Bodies, Bodies, Bodies to. Like, and I do think it's a better scary movie because I don't think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is very scary in the slightest. But Barbarian is – how would you even describe this? I mean, it's like a, just a traditional scary movie, but like it, it does have some, some twists and tropes that yeah. are – not followed the way you would normally expect them to be yeah i i really don't want to spoil any of this i don't either i know i know if, if kenny's watching because there are like some parts where like i, I want kenny to text us like when he reaches 100 percent. it's about a girl who's like who goes to detroit and she stays at an airbnb and when she gets to the airbnb there's somebody already there like somebody they double booked the airbnb and from there it's just like you get really gets like okay well that's weird and uh the guy that's there is kind of suspect and the house is kind of in a real neighborhood terrible neighborhood the basement of this airbnb is really creepy and so it's just like it leans into that it leans into like a bad neighborhood it leans into this guest that she is not supposed to be staying with but she ends up staying with and this really creepy basement that has all these secrets and then it takes those everything that you expect these tropes and it kind of like it surprised me. Mm-hmm. The movie surprised, straight up surprised me. It subverts um, a lot of expectations for yeah, sure. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, and it does it. It's just it's it's beautiful, and it's 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 really funny. You'll know what I'm talking about, Kyle, when I say that like a third of the way through the movie, the the tone just shifts dramatically. I mean, it goes from like a scary movie to a comedy for like a solid fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah, as the tone just shifts dramatically, and I'll say too, I loved justin long's character i thought he was incredible he's the the scummy businessman that bought that owns the house right like and it's just i think he was such a funny character i think the movie was great it's creepy like i did introduce this one to my dad and he was like that was weird as hell and i was like yup i was like it was i will say uh the ending is not the strongest i agree in my opinion um, but it did not detract my enjoyment of the movie. A hundred percent. Yeah, I do think the Indian could have ending could have should have been better. But 
agreed 100%. I still really liked the movie. And it wasn't a bad ending. It was just like almost just a slight anticlimactic. Like you wanted a little more. But it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, great movie. If you like horror, I think it's got to be one of the best horror movies of 2022. It has yeah, to be I mean, up Which there. is a great year for horror movies, yeah. actually. Like 2022... Like, I've heard it said, like, 2022 was not a great movie year. Uh, and I disagree I just, entirely. I disagree wholeheartedly. Yeah, me too. Um, if you like fun movies, like, there's just, you're, there are, like, six of them that are just, like, straight fun watches. Mm-hmm. So The only real, like, horror movies I've seen, it's weird because a couple of movies we've talked about on the podcast already in episode one and will in this episode are considered horror, right? Nope, The Menu, Bodies, 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 X, Barbarian, Prey. But of those, uh, I would yeah. only think X and Barbarian are horror. And even still, X is like slasher, which I don't really consider like scary to it. I don't know. It's kind of weird to discuss it. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a great year for that. I think Barbarian was awesome. It's certainly one of my favorites. If you like horror in the slightest, you owe it to yourself to at least check it out. Uh, really, really fun time. So we'll, we'll cut it off there without spoiling anything more. All right, buddy. Take us away. So the board game movie game, if you're not familiar with this, is I'm going to describe a movie and a board game, and it's going to create sort of this before and after prompt. Here's the first one. Are we ready? No. This lost boy leads the charge to finding as many cures as he can for the disease of growing up. Peter Pandemic. Max nailed it. Let's go. (laughs) That That was was the easiest one. one. That was a good one. That was the easiest one. You're so fast. (laughs) <laughs> that was very fast. <laughs> it was it was right. Lost Boy and Diseases. I was like, got it. Got it. Yep. Easy. <laughs> I thought about taking out Lost Boys and just saying this boy and do growing up. I thought it made it a little bit harder. Yeah, but that would have made it a little First, harder, but I appreciate you giving me the point. All right. Here we go. Second one. In a 24-hour period, this lycanthrope rises to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime and corruption. Oh, What? <laughs> What? Can you say it again? Yeah, I need a repeat yes. on this one. Yes. In a 24-hour period, this lycanthrope rises to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime and corruption. Werewolf of Wall Street. That is not the full answer. One Night Ultimate Werewolf of Wall Street. <laughs> there it is. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, like, I did not. I don't know why lycanthrope. I was like, "What the heck is a lycanthrope?" And now that I'm, now that you said werewolf, I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." I forgot about that. I've also never seen Wolf of Wall Street, but we'll give that one to Kenny. Kenny deserves it. All right. So this tiebreaker is hard. Dolan was not able to get it when I sent him. Oh these. no! Uh, I don't think either of you have played the game, oh, but you have no. heard of the game. We might be here for a while. We're not leaving until one of us gets this. Oh well. Damn. <laughs> an astronaut becomes stranded in ireland and must rely on his ingenuity to survive and become chieftain and construct citadels and sanctuaries (laughs) (laughs) an astronaut becomes stranded in ireland (laughs) what (laughs) an an astronaut becomes stranded in Ireland and must rely on his ingenuity to survive and become chieftain and construct citadels and sanctuaries. I'll give you I'll give you a hint. We talked about the movie in this episode. We talked about the movie in this episode. Repeat it. Because I know what the movie is. 
an astronaut becomes stranded in Ireland and must rely on his ingenuity to survive and become chieftain and construct citadels and sanctuaries. Oh, wait. Is this the Martianus? It is. Heck yeah, dude. <laughs> yes, good job, Mac. I've never played Inish, but I... <laughs> uh. <laughs> together. Yeah, I threw in Ireland hoping that it would be like... <laughs> Dolan was like, "Does that is that the Martian and Brian Boru?" I'm like, "How do those connect?" <laughs> How does make? The Martianish. Wow, that's a good one. I like that one. Hey, I just want y'all to know, undefeated baby, the back to back two times champ. Max got Peter Pandemic so fast. Yeah, man. <laughs> I almost like cut you off, and I was like, "I gotta wait, I gotta wait, I gotta wait for this man." Awesome, awesome. All right, today for our featured topic, we're going to indulge in a deliciously satirical dark comedy thriller called "The Menu." I'm going to try and do my spiel without any more atrocious food puns. Directed by Mark Mylod, the menu takes us to a remote island and one of the most prestigious restaurants in the world. Offering up social commentary on the service industry, the upper class, and more, we are taken through a full course menu from Chef Julian Slowick. Throughout the meal, it becomes clear that this isn't a normal night out, and things become increasingly messy and unhinged. The menu is available for streaming on HBO Max. So, what do you all think of the menu? First off, heavy spoilers incoming. Yeah. I refuse to not talk about spoilers for this yeah, movie. Yeah, no. W- when we do featured topics, we're diving in. I, okay. I mean, I'm diving so, into this movie. We're talking hard. The menu. I'm going to start because I'm very excited to talk about this. Okay. The menu I loved. It's mm-hmm. my number two movie of the year. The only reason it's number two is because Glass Onion is my number one, and I'm obsessed with Knives Out. Mm-hmm. So I went into the menu knowing literally nothing about the movie. Not, I knew Anya Taylor-Joy was in it. That's the 1% of the movie I knew. Mm-hmm. Max suggested it to me. Um, I'm in an, I'm in another, I, I'm on like a WhatsApp group. And a lot of the people in that were like talking about how the great the menu was. <clears throat> so I knew it was wildly loved. And I'm going to share a moment I had in this movie. Uh, so at 8.04 PM, the night <laughs> I was watching the menu, I texted Max and I said, Hey Max, I'm starting the menu. <laughs> At 8.44, I texted Max in all caps, what the f***? <laughs> because I was so shocked by what I had just watched. It had to have been the mess, right? It was the mess. Yeah. Which goes into what my favorite scene was because I was just, because I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Like the first 40 minutes I enjoyed, I loved what was happening. It was so well acted. Nick Holt was doing such a great job of being like this pretentious a-hole. Yeah. Andrew Taylor-Joy was doing her thing where she was like, she's just phenomenal as well. And it was just so weird and creepy. And you're like, what is this movie? Like, I'm, I, I'm like engulfed in this, but like, I don't know what the, the point is. Yeah. Now, I don't want to dive into that scene yet. I kind of want to go. I kind of want to go chronologically a little bit. Okay. Well, I'll, so I'll finish up my thought then with when I got to that scene. I instantly loved the movie. Yeah. And it was nothing but fun for the next hour. Man, I have a feeling this that we're going to talk about this movie for an hour. And Kenny's going to say three words. Yeah, it was good. So I would say it, I, I, I love the first half of the movie. I thought like the whole, there's a lot of suspense and just a lot of mystery. Of like, what is going on? Like, how is this? Like, because even the premise of the movie, like, what is this? Right? Because the, even the, the, 
the the poster for the movie is just like the the three of them sitting at a table looking at you, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. There, you really have no concept of what is the menu, what's going to happen, but like uh, and so I really love that mystery in that first half that just kind of embodies everything. But like when that moment happens, I think my enjoyment of the movie kind of lessened quite a bit because at that really? point, like it it, gets, it stops becoming like a, a suspense mystery, right? And it becomes just like this almost saw-like horror satire. And I don't think it did that as well as it did the first half of the movie. Um, interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. a very interesting thought because I'm I. I think I'm with more with Kyle at least at this point. Like, I mean, I love the movie from start to finish. Like, I, I'm not. I don't know that it, it wasn't my favorite movie of the year. It is top five, uh, but like, I loved it from start to finish. I thought it was great the whole way through, and the mess was clearly for me like a a light switch moment where you're like, oh my god, like this is wild. But even past that point, obviously, you know stuff's going down. You know stuff's hitting the fan, but it still it still wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, it still did things different than i expected in a way that like it still kept me at least engaged and like what is gonna actually happen it for sure slow rolled things oh yeah i the whole time i was thinking like oh my god how are they getting out of this like i didn't think everyone was gonna you're like okay that was the mess is like you're like oh that was weird like now they are with like in this restaurant with a psychopath but like clearly Mm -hmm somebody's getting out or like multiple people are going to get out of this. Like they're going to, something's going to be solved here. You still don't know like what's happening. Even when that, when that happens, like I, I, Kenny, I get your point where it becomes like this thing of like, it does lose some of its mystery and you start to see like, Oh, this guy is a psycho. He is going to kill as many people as he can. And it goes, it becomes more like in your face, I guess. But I I think they slow rolled it just enough for me Mm -hmm. where I was still like, Oh my gosh. And then like, um, I don't know. I don't want to be jumping ahead too much, but like when it's like revealed that like Nicholas Holt's character like knew yeah. what was coming, and all the wait staff knew what was coming, it's just like that is mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Tyler Nicholas Holt's character deserves a whole ten minute discussion on him by himself, which I'm sure we'll have later. But yeah, just to give you like a brief synopsis, if you're watching this or if you're listening to this, having not seen the movie and don't care about spoilers, uh, it starts off. You're just going to an island, a very prestigious dinner with a prestigious chef. Costs twelve fifty a head. It's wild. He's giving you foods that aren't really foods. Breads without bread. It's it's very interesting. <laughs> the social commentary there uh, is interesting and exciting, at least to me. And and it's funny after you finish the movie or after you, after that reveal happens, where you realize that Tyler knows what's going on. You realize that Margot or Andy Taylor Joy's character is a service worker and a sex worker for that matter, here in in this movie. It's just like you piece things together and you go back to the start of the movie, at least I did, where she's smoking a cigarette and he says, you know, don't do that. You're not going to be able to enjoy it. And uh, she says, well, you're paying. And like at the beginning, you think that that means he's paying for the dinner. So like you'll you'll do it. But like you realize that like he's paying for the whole experience and like it's her job to like do what he wants her to do. So like you're paying Mm. me. So yeah, I'll stop smoking because you're paying me to be here and do that. And so it, like, there's these little tidbits that you don't realize connect to that until it is actually revealed. But and like when she gets there and they're they're greeted by Elsa and the wrong names on the thing and like she's like, oh no, this is not who is supposed to be here. And I'm curious too. That that's that's a thing that I don't think we'll ever know. It leaves it up for interpretation. Like did did his girlfriend leave him or did he? 
decide he didn't want to kill his girlfriend or like what happened i don't know who knows I think oh that's that- interesting i guess i read it as like she broke up with him and that's why he was okay ultimately killing himself oh see okay all right see that's one of the biggest things i want to talk about because i i disagree with that i think tyler was such a pretentious that he very much thought himself safe I do not think that Tyler thinks he was going to die. I think that Tyler thinks he was going to get on the good side of the chef. I do not think he thinks that he was going to die. I think he believes that he was going to be spared because he is such a purveyor of the arts of food. He's respected and he should be best friends with this guy because he knows what this flavor is that's in this food. And I think he truly thought that he was going to be a teacher's pet to the chef and would would be spared entirely. I don't think he went into that knowing he was going to die personally. So you you think like he he knew the whole plan, yes. but he did okay, I I I think you may have convinced me because you're right. Like his character is super pretentious and like the whole time he is trying to impress the chef mm-hmm. and like if you're trying to do that, you don't think you're going to like what's the point at so, that, right? So like I I do think you probably convinced there's me There's two more points I'll have that'll just convince you even farther cuz I'm a convincing person. I wrote a I wrote a persuasive letter to get my first dog when I was in when I was in elementary school. I wrote a persuasive letter to my parents they got me a dog. Uh <laughs> anyways, <laughs> is that true? It is true actually. Yes, it is true. And I I in the in the letter I said picture me walking my dog and for years they used that on me. They were like let let tattoo out and I was like I'm in the middle of something and they would say picture me walking my dog and then i'd have to go take the dog out but anyways so there's two more things that i think absolutely point to the fact that he didn't think he was going to die and i don't remember in in what case these happen sequentially but tyler's taking pictures of all his food of all his food yep i don't think it's possible that he's like oh i'll just post it on the socials and it'll live past after me whatever but i think that he was taking pictures of these food because he thinks he's gonna live like i don't think he thinks he's going to die and then in the part where they take them outside, interestingly enough, not to kill them because I thought they were going to kill them when they took them outside, but just to play a chase game, basically. <laughs> like they catch them and they bring it right back inside. But he tells all the men to run. Uh, the, the, the chef tells all the men to run. And, uh, and Tyler is just standing there and doesn't run at all. And the chef's like, yeah. no, you too. And then Tyler just goes like hides 10 feet away from where they were. Yeah. Like, I genuinely think that he thinks he was going to be fine and that this was not he was he was in the clear because he's such a such a knowledgeable foodie. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, not, not me. Right. Like exactly. Everybody thinks everybody's a hero of their own story. Right. And so it's just like, oh, that would never happen to me. It's going to happen to other people, but not me. Yeah. I mean, I'm convinced okay. to me. I'm convinced that that is the story of Tyler. I, I very much think that he believes he would have been totally fine. And obviously, it didn't pan out the way he thought. I would, it would like to. I would like to go into Tyler more myself, but I would like to hear what Kenny thinks about uh, about all of that. Well, first. he's already said his words. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's already said it was good. Yeah. You know, like okay, here's the thing. Did not really think about that hard because I found like I think it's done intentionally, but it didn't really care for any of the characters in the movies. I found like all the characters extremely dislikable. You know, well, yeah, Ani except Taylor. for Margot. I think Margot. But even then, like, Margot is, like, she's almost like a, I don't know, like a cipher for the audience, right? Like, the regular person who's not, who's, because, like, I, I have not experienced, like, fine dining in that capacity mm. yet. 
I'd assume you guys haven't either, right? No. 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 Uh, so I think like she's, as much as like, you know, I think Ani Taylor, Joey's a, a very good actress, but like she's, I think her character is just meant to be like, to be the role of the average person being in this situation. I mean, you, you, you root for her, but not like, there's just not enough there for you to root for. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't root for her as much as I did. It's interesting. It's clear that Chef Slovak is like a bad person, right? But at the same time, he is probably the most sympathetic character in the entire Mm -hmm. movie. At least to me. I found it being like, yeah, dude, kill those idiots. Yeah, dude, cook that hamburger. Get your joy back. Like, I mean, it was... (laughs) It truly was. I thought he was one of the more sympathetic characters. And I'm with you that none of them are good people, but that's like the point, right? Like that's the whole yeah, point. That's why that's why he's kill that's why he's killing yeah. these people. Even that one girl, suck. she went to Brown and didn't have any student loans. That was hilarious. Yeah, that cracked that me was up. That cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, I will have a special shout out to all of the main three, the main trio, Ray Fines, Anya Taylor Joy, and Nicholas Holt, but also John Leguizamo and Hong Chow crushed it. I I okay. loved them. So before I go into my Tyler Holt stuff, um, here's my fun fact that I was going to share with you guys. So the original uh, actor who was going to play the John Leguizamo role was actually Daniel Radcliffe. Wow. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe was going to play himself. And <laughs> the chef was mad at him for a role he played in a Frankenstein movie yeah. or something like that. And I thought that was hilarious. And I, re- I, I love John Leguizamo and I thought he did a great job in that role. I would have loved to see Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, 100%. 100%. But yeah, like you're introduced to this whole ragtag group of, well, they're not ragtag. They're all wealthy individuals. But like, you know a lot about all of them except for like the old woman drinking in the corner until later in the movie. But like, you're instantly introduced to these food critics. They're stuck up food critics. You're instantly introduced to these three uh, tech bros who think that they're like they own the company because they're investor blah 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 you're introduced into this to this couple who at first seems kind of innocuous and and harmless and then it's revealed like some really terrible stuff about the the father the the husband rather who who hired margo as a sex worker for some very creepy things they lost their daughter right like their daughter obviously passed away and i think he was hiring margo to because he looks so she looks so much like their daughter Mm -hmm. and so like yeah he obviously never really recovered from that and tried to replace her with a sex worker which is like oh my that's so creepy right i Um, could be mistaken so i don't want to speak too much fact this i think it is i really wanted to watch this movie a second time before doing this podcast and i wasn't able to but i think it was explicitly stated he hired her to like while he's masturbating tell him he's a good dad like to his face like i i think that that's said in the movie i think yeah i think you're i think you're right so like the dad is obviously messed up and like they obviously don't have a good marriage um but you know what's the most damning thing of them all though the most damning thing of them all for that couple is that they've been there a dozen times yeah and chef slowick says name one dish that i've served you and they can't. Again, I sympathize with him. That breaks him. Like, he is, like, livid. He is a service industry worker dedicating his craft to serving others. And these people don't give a crap about it. They just want to show that they're, hey, they're, we're, we're rich, we're wealthy, we're spending a ton of money. They don't care about the food. They just care about this, the status symbol that comes with attending that island, right? Yeah, he says, do not eat. Right. And like, because that's like what they have been doing every time they go. Right. Here. Exactly. Or eating. Exactly. That's it. 
Yeah, I, I also think too. It's it's funny that we're even critiquing the menu because like the whole movie is about like the consumption of art and food yeah. and how these food critics and these foodies that only care about it for the the critiquing element. <laughs> it's like it's a very negative thing, and then here we are being like. Oh yes, this is something to be analyzed rather than enjoyed, and it's just like that's what the movie's telling us, and we're just doing it anyways. Yeah, so it's very meta, and like this is what I was going to bring up about Tyler Holt. Or yeah, they're um, Margot and what's his character's name? Tyler. Tyler. Yeah, Nicholas Holt. Um, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. yeah. So Margot and Tyler, what they resonated with me the most. Obviously, they're probably the two biggest characters in the movie, but why they resonated with me is because like Tyler is very into critiquing. The most minute details mm. about each food, right? Is this Borgamond? And <laughs> as as board game uh, quote unquote content creators, which I hate that term, but like like this is what we're doing now. It really resonated with me. The whole thing is like I was like, is this a worker placement game? Uh, no, it's not a worker placement. Is this a rondelle? No. Like how many times have we had that argument? Uh, it's right? a, between, it's, between you're us. on a path. It's not a circle. It's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> and it's so like it makes me stop and think like. Oh my god! Like people just like we play these games for fun, and that's just like what uh, Anya Taylor Joy comes to. Like, I'm hungry. Right. I want to eat something. I want a cheeseburger because that's what is good to me. It really made me like step back and like think. Like, yeah, I, I think it's important for us to like be critical of board games, and I think it is fun to talk about them with a critical eye. And I do think we as a channel do a good job of like, oh, that was very fun, and that's like all that matters. But it's just so funny to think about it that for what we do as like our hobby is like we we critique these things yeah. very similar to what Tyler does with food. Right. As we're like, uh, that game didn't really speak to me. Um, it was like uh, it was eight out of ten fun and nine out of nine nine out of ten fun, so it has to go. Right. And it's just like it's the very thing that like would drive a chef or a game designer mad. Like, oh, why is this not good enough? Yeah, and I think it's just such a. I love the I mentioned the cheeseburger thing already, but like. I love the whole throughout the movie, Chef Slovak is like, are you with us or are you with them? Like he can tell right off the bat that Margo is a service worker just mm -hmm. by the way that she's acting and handling things. I think he can tell that. And he doesn't really want to kill her, but it's like, are you going to die with them or are you going to die with us? Like make, take your pick. Which do you want? I, I think it's very interesting that like it shines a light on the service industry as a whole. Of course, she's a sex worker, and it never makes that like a a very negative thing. It never it never no, down not at, all, not at all. Yeah, and then it's like she she uses her skills like when she sees the cheeseburger and him like smiling in the picture in his office, and she's like, okay, he did like to cook food. It may have been drained out of him now, but like he did enjoy this passion before money and critiques and whatever took it out of him, basically. And so, like, she used her ability as a service worker to kind of persuade him into letting her off the hook, basically, and giving her an out. I just thought it was really interesting. Like, the whole movie is like, are you a giver or a taker? Are you someone like these tech bros who think they are deserving of everything? Oh, my God. Like, the freaking, the freaking line with Elsa where she's like, you're going to eat more than you, less than you desire and more than you deserve. Ugh. I loved that line so much. <laughs> like, it was just, I think she was incredible, but... It was just, I don't know. I, I really liked it. I loved the commentary across the board on, you know, all the class stuff, classism, all the critiquing, all that. I thought it was great. I, I would say, so I think like the movie is trying to say a lot, but I think it didn't really hit on anything. 
really super strongly, right? Like, I think there's a lot of, like, social commentary they could have made, like, especially, like, when you talk about, like, the service workers from the back were basically just, like, led to slaughter, right? Or just kind of, like, the sacrifice for this man's ego, right? And there's there's so many opportunities for these social commentary things, but I think because they try to do so much, they didn't really hit on anything super strongly. So, like, by the time you get to the point, like, where the cheeseburger happens, it's just, like, what is this all for, right? That's kind of, like, right ended with the movies like what was the point of all this they tried to go in so many directions that like they didn't really have they didn't, they didn't find anything to anchor on yeah to piggyback on that i think one of my critiques for the movie like if i was to be critical of it is i agree with you on like the wait staff and like the sous chefs in general why they were all for it uh like he obviously built this like type of cult following where they were willing to drink the kool-aid and maybe it's because they saw the same he saw uh weekend and week at, week out of like I, we're tired of serving these super rich people who take everything for granted they're probably thinking like what's the point they're get they're doing these meals day in and day out and it's like what's the point all they're gonna do is complain they're gonna critique our food they're gonna like go on and on and on about how this stuff sucks but like this is my life's work so like literally what's the point like yeah we might as well die we might as well go out in a blaze of glory see i think that i i kind of agree with you kenny that it didn't hit like a single note incredibly well but i think it hit a lot of notes quite well I don't think that it was really trying to boil itself down to a single point that you take away from this movie and more so touch on several different things and do so in a good way. Like to me, I'm going to kind of be a counterpoint to what you all are saying. Like I think for for the sous chefs and just the chefs in general, the, the, the work, the workers that are there with him, like it is absolutely what you said, Kyle. It's a cult. Like it's a cult following. I don't necessarily think that they were agreeing with him that like, oh, what's it for? What's the point? Whatever. But like the main chef, the mess the sous chef, he basically uh, came to terms with the fact that he was never going to be good enough to be the, the head chef, right? The boss man. And I think it's interesting in that, like, the food industry is probably like that to a lesser extent. Not not real life, obviously. Not just like that. I don't think people in the service industry <laughs> would be like, yeah, let's kill ourselves for our chef. But I do think that it is absolutely sometimes closer to a cult than it is to, like, a very traditional working relationship and i think that that's something that they're like actively striving in the industry to move away from these like even their their foods that they're making like the girl that they talked to it was her idea to kill everyone yeah like that's very interesting. and it's still a chef slowick thing it's still his menu right like right. until they're the boss any ideas they have are his right they any things that they propose are on his menu at his restaurant. And they're basically like nothing without him at this point in time because everything is in his name. They work for him. They lived at a commune there. It's a lot easier, I think, to come to terms with the fact that they're a cult and willing to die with the fact that you realize that they like live there in a, in a, in a midsummer-esque bunker in these tiny beds just all together. Like That's where they live. That's, that's their life. It's a lot easier, I think, to come to terms with the fact that they're willing to go those lengths for him because he is their entire life at this point. I don't know. I thought it touched on it in a way that was uh, obviously not one-to-one -one with real life, but like I saw the points it was trying to make. At least I, I think I did. I'm not a movie critic, but I, I, I have fun talking about them, and I feel like I understand what he's saying. Whether I do or not, I, I don't know, but that's what I got from like the whole chefs. What it really reminded me of is almost like Star Wars fandom. Where Star Wars fans 
kind of hate Star Wars. And that's kind of where like the food critics and like Tyler and like all of them were almost like getting there. Like they love food so much, but then they, they love it so much, but like everything is bad. And I, I think we get there as, as a society in general, like we start to like love these things and eventually we hate everything because it's not what we're used to. It's a broken emulsion. So it's like, yeah, like Star Wars doing it, like even like Marvel has seen it now. Like Marvel is like getting to a point to where like everybody's like sick of it and don't, doesn't like wants to bash everything about it. Um, we do it in board gaming. We do it like music. It happens in music where it's like, oh, their their old stuff was good, but their new stuff sucks. And I, I don't know why we do that. Like we are fans of these things. Why are we so quick to like crap on it? But, you know, one thing I do think that was like the Tyler character, like, I don't think he was a critic. I think he was like almost like this ultra fan type character. I agree. Like, he, he was. He was. Yeah. Like, he, I, I say critic, but yeah, he was more of like a he's a foodie. He was yeah. not a critic. Like someone who, do, who so desperately wants to be able to do the things you're doing, but just doesn't have the talent. Or... Oh, yeah. I mean, we can talk about when Chef made him make a meal and it was terrible. Oh, that was so funny. And he kept burning himself and like <laughs> all these things. And when like he's talking to Chef, Chef pulls him back and then it's revealed that, you know, Tyler ends up going and killing himself. And we don't know what Chef said to Tyler but like I choose, to, well, I imagine it was something along the lines of like, you are not worthy of being a part of my menu. You can't even die with us. Like you're not, That's, you're yeah. not worthy yeah, of horrible. even being here. So like, go off yourself because I don't want you to even die in my menu. And like that, I I can see Tyler being the type of person who is so desperate for this loving relationship with this master chef that like that's enough for him to be like yeah well I'm not getting out of here live anyways and he told me to do it I'm gonna go do it like I don't know I that's what I choose to imagine he said to him but like we don't we'll never know but it's tough I think one thing is really interesting about our conversation about this movie is that we have not even really talked about the spectacle of horrors that these people went through after uh, the mess right we really touched oh, yeah. upon the fact like the, that with the the chasing we talked a little bit about but just getting your your finger the your finger chopped the, other, the finger chopped yeah. <laughs> it's just like that stuff comes like oh. comes like background noise for like a lot of these other things that like i think we, we find more interesting in the movie even like uh even like the the cop that they thought were saving hmm. them and it was, yeah. like, that was really like a psychological like joke that he was playing on them like oh you thought you guys were safe you idiots yeah. no <laughs> this was all part of my plan there's so much to this movie that i that we haven't even talked about i feel like we talked for a long time about it but like there's more that i have to say but i don't need to say everything but one of the things that you mentioned earlier that i wanted to kind of like backtrack to and i forgot until just now is that like one of the times when the dude got his hand cut off he was like i'll give you any amount of money to let us go and again another thing it's like they expect money to be the answer to all of their problems they didn't try to run away they didn't try to fight they've never been in a predicament where they weren't able to pay buy themselves out of a situation and they were just like oh i don't know what to do when money isn't good enough to get me out of something and like the only person who actively tries to leave is Margo because the rest are just like, yep, I guess this is the, I guess this is the end. I guess this is how we go out. I loved when he was like, 
well, you guys didn't try to just like overtake me or run away. Right. Like that would have worked. Yeah, like, exactly. Why didn't you guys try that? Exactly. Because they just, <laughs> they've not been put in a situation where money can't just be the end all be all answer. I feel like, I mean, that's, that's how I see it, but, and maybe, maybe too, they all agree. Maybe they all feel like they're deserving of it. Yeah, kind of deserved to die. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think any of them thought that. I don't think so either. No. But it is a possibility. No. I think that they just weren't. I think that they just didn't have the uh, the forethought or the gusto to actually get off their butts and try and do anything about it. But the psychological games he played with the actual like menu before the mess, like we mentioned, like the bread that didn't have any bread, so funny. <laughs> um how they kept bringing that like i don't know what it, the dish was but they kept bringing that soup that was like yeah the broken emotion yeah that was that was so funny mm-hmm. to me just like these little subtle things are like what is this guy doing yeah well it's like he talks about bread being like the the food for everybody right like the food for the poor people like everyone's always had bread and so he removes it from these people. Like, you're not allowed to have bread anymore. This is the bread for the everyday people. Like, this is the food for them. And you are not them. You know, to give Tyler some credit, I do think that his... It, it, it at least makes you think, whether it's, you know, whatever. But when Tyler says that uh, he plays with the raw materials of life and death, is like, it makes you think for a second. Like, that is kind of what food is, right? Like, any any chef mm-hmm. is truly working with the raw materials of life and death. And I just think that that's, it's a foodie thing to say because it's a little over the top, but like, I kind of agree. Like it works. Like, like I see where he's coming from. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool to think about that. Uh, the whole s'mores thing was super funny to me too. And they just like Uh, sat there. (laughs) Here's the marshmallow to go on. And they're just like, yep, this is my life now. Like what? I feel like the further the movie goes on and on, like it just, delves deeper and deeper into absurdity and like that s'more scene where they're just like well yeah we're gonna make a s'more out of all of us and uh that that just just is like it's just kind of like the point is like okay i guess this is where we're going you know yeah dude and how funny it is like when he's just talking about how like how crappy the s'more is (laughs) i wish i could remember the quote he's like the worst part about american culinary i know and i love (laughs) s'mores i love s'mores (laughs) yeah s'mores are yeah they're fine um, All right, but, Chef Slowick. You know what? You know what I love? I love pop tarts with s'mores in them. There's a, there's Ooh, s'mores yeah, you know what? You know what s'mores right. needed was more sugar, Kenny. Yeah, That's exactly. <laughs> I feel like that Chef Slowick would definitely hate that, probably. So, guy, right, I feel like we've talked about this movie for a long time. We could probably continue talking about it for even longer, just rambling about different things. But uh, I mean, I loved this movie. Really enjoyed it. Top five of 2022. I know Kyle, you said it was your number two. Obviously, Kenny, you, you didn't like it as much as us, but that's okay. I, I mean, we're all yeah, allowed to be wrong I still, sometimes. I still quite liked it. Uh, yeah, it's just, okay. you know, I, I think it's, yeah, I don't it think it's going to be talking about. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be really talking about like in five years, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, right? I, I think I will be. I think it, <laughs> it left a quite, it left quite an impression on me, I will say. Much like Chef Slowick, we too curated our perfect board game menu this is an appetizer a main course and a dessert and come to find out these two fools decided to theme their menus well i didn't get the memo so (laughs) my menu is not themed but it's still a good still a good menu so who wants to start we'll start talking about our board game menu 
Do we want to do each of us do our appetizer, or do we want to do? A I whole think we should menu? do a whole menu. Well, let's let let's let Kenny start it off. Yeah, he didn't talk okay. enough while we were talking about the movie. <laughs> I think it's because we kept going on and on. Well, but. I just want I like to talk about things, man. I'm with you. But yeah, go ahead, Kenny. Uh, but anyways, so my, I like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my menu is called "This Land Is My Land." You gave so it a title. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the heck. This is this is an exploration of area different area control and the different elements within. No uh, way. So we'll start off with the game of Lords of Vegas, which brings in some area control elements uh, mixed in with um, negotiation and um, heavy luck elements. Uh, you know, you can probably play that in about an hour, an hour and a half or so. We'll lead that into Scythe, which is a nice fusion of a highbrow Euro game meets. Uh, low class mirror trash, but it makes it delicious, delicious, <laughs> delicious oh my game. God. I love this. You put so much more so effort much. in this than I did. We should have Kenny go last. I feel, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel so bad. And we'll finish the night off with a nice pairing of cat in the box because cats are delicious. Still, is this game where you get to play trick taking game mixed with a bit of very control just to kind of close the night out with. So wait, you lost me. At cats are delicious. Yeah, that's a joke. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> if it wasn't you know normally when a joke requires explaining it's just not funny <laughs> but in kitty's deadpan yeah that was yeah. a joke it just makes it way better infinitely better wow okay so what i'm expecting you got lords of vegas you got scythe and you've got cat in the box it's probably not like my favorite like you know that's a long day but so i actually day. do give quite a bit of thought of like into like when we have like a game night like who's at the table what, what game would like actually sure. this group and all that so look i was also thinking of you all when i made my menu and i think that you all will like my menu do you want me to talk about it i didn't know was there more you wanted to say about your menu no 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 are you sure yes i've talked a lot very well done kitty what who do what what who why <laughs> Josh is going to have to like, all this out. Why is Gamora? I said, I've talked a lot, so I apologize. But I'm not going to talk as much on this one because I did not realize that we were naming and also theming our menus. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with my appetizer, which is Fuji Flush. A nice, quick card game. Get everybody happy, laughing before we move on to the main course. That is Dune Imperium. I'm glad to see that. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it is. And after a romp through Dune Imperium, a very... This, I don't know why this game screams dessert to me, because it's not food-based at all, but Millie Fiori is my dessert game. I can see that. I feel like a lovely, tasty way to end the night. So we've got Fuji Flush, Dune Imperium, and Millie Fiori. Sounds like a pretty good night. Yeah, I think so. I was like, what games I mean, would I want to like play a... with my friends? And I was like, I want to play Millifiori again. I want to play Dune Imperium again. And my appetizer was the hardest one to answer, but I thought Fuji Flush was a nice, quick one to go ahead and get us into. Like, it's really just a starter. Like, it's not a... That's like a Cheesecake Factory menu. Like, I mean... Oh, my God. Get out, there's no, there's no What are you going to provide me? <laughs> Skyline? Like yeah. So, my <laughs> menu is Skyline Chili for the appetizer. That's going to be the... We're going to end um, the episode right there. Right yeah, I don't you don't even get to say your menu. Right. My menu That's is fine. Skyline Chili. End. <laughs> it's just gone. My menu is called the Draft. You house. have a title, title too. 
I just came up with oh it. Oh my god. Ago. When Kenny did, I had to come up with something. Oh my in the draft gosh. The theme of my menu is drafting because drafting is my favorite ingredient. Uh, so for my appetizer, <laughs> I'm going to go with a fairly new game to me, and that is Acropolis. Oh, yeah. Uh, very quick playing game, uh, drafting. I think sets the mood for a game night because there's still some decision making to be had in Acropolis. My main course is going to be my favorite game of all time, Blood Rage. Yeah. Because it has drafting. It's it's thinky. It's tactical. It's strategic. It's got everything you want in a meal um, <laughs> to, keep you, to get you full. The blood. And then finally for my... <laughs> i had the menu on the brain all right and then for my dessert i went with a game i have talked about many many times um but it's just a great light game um and that is going to be azul master chocolatier okay now Mm. i've never played the chocolate version but i included it because this is the dessert section of my menu and it (laughs) plays the exact same as regular azul my drafting menu is acropolis blood rage Azul Master Chocolatier. Well, dude, none of my games have any sort of like theme. There's no tie-in. If you can find me a tie-in between Fuji Flush, Dune Imperium, and Mili Fiori, then I'd be impressed because I don't think that that's a thing. But uh, I still think that I have the best menu. I think we all had great menus. I am glad somebody put Dune Imperium. I mean, I'm shocked neither of you did, honestly. That's why I wanted to talk about it before the podcast. No, dude. It's, <laughs> stop. It's way more fun this way. <laughs> Blood Rage, Scythe, and like Dune Imperium are all in my top five, probably. So yeah. I'll, I'll gladly eat any, any of these restaurants. If you're listening, you should come into our Discord and uh, let us know whose menu you like the best. Kenny's, Kyle's, or Max's food at a high-end level like this it's all about presentation so oh my god I, you really got you really got to figure that out you know all right well you go have fun dying while you're dining i'm gonna go make a cheeseburger okay give me a smash burger any day of the week <laughs> i'll take that i'll take that and run literally just like margo well thank you for listening to today's episode number two of the board game box office If you want to join our Discord and have discussions about these movies and everything in the future, make sure you do so. Link in the description below. Leave us a review on any of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Let us know how you like the show and how we can improve. We can only do that with your help. Thank you for listening. Kenny, Kyle, thank you for joining. Kyle, thank you for talking. Kenny, thank you for listening. I had a very good time today. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to running it back again soon. <laughs>